Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakim, and tonight I'm joined by Vato. Hello. And co-owner of White Pine Coffee in Lake Orion, Brad Kopeck. How's it going? Great, Brad. How are you? Very well, thanks. Now, we were saying before the show, uh, we've gone about 40 episodes now, and we have not talked about coffee at all, which is strange because I drink coffee every single day. But it's kind of apropos because I think coffee is one of these beverages that gets taken for granted. Very ubiquitous liquid sitting on a shelf somewhere that's allowed to go stale, not really appreciated. So, yeah, <laughs> caffeine delivery mechanism for most people. But we're getting back around to some quality around here. Yeah, so let's talk about the the whole, like, how coffee kind of became this, like, I don't know, like, piece of the morning ritual for, like, however, 90% of people or whatever the number. That's a made-up number. I'm going to admit that. <laughs> um, pretty close. All the fact checkers out there. <laughs> um, so uh, why, why coffee? Do you know? The exact reason? No. No, I don't know. No. No. I mean, it, it's fairly it, – it's, tra- it's a commodity, right? So it's traded 97, 95% of the world's coffee is a commodity-grade coffee bought off an exchange that's just sold at one price. Sold to basically anybody will buy it. It's not bought for its flavor or its origin or its traceability or anything like that. So – you know, even if you're drinking mediocre coffee and you think it's pretty good, it's probably still commodity grade coffee. So okay, so we've never talked about commodity grade anything. I don't think on on the show on the no. show here. So what does that mean? It, like I was saying, it's bought off an exchange, the IC Exchange, International Coffee Exchange, uh, and no matter the origin or the quality of the product, it's pegged to an exact market price. So you know, today it could be a buck fifteen, no matter where it's from. That's what it's going to cost. Whereas the market we deal in, uh, specialty coffee, we buy it for its actual value, even sometimes at auction. I, I, I'm. This is confusing to me. So literally, like most of the world's coffee is just like dumped into like one big vat, basically. Yes, for lack of a better descriptor, <laughs> and brewed all at once on bad machines and not stored correctly. So every step of the supply chain, from the farmer to the genetics to the suppliers, the shippers, the roasters, obviously, and then whoever your barista is, or whether it's a Mr. Coffee sitting on your countertop or you got a high-end Slayer espresso machine, uh, you can mess it up at any stage of the game. So let me jump in for a second here. So just to go back, because this kind of sounds like what um, they do in the in the cocktail and beer world. You got somebody out there who's mass producing and everyone else is like picking into it saying, okay, I want to take this amount of coffee and they're all taking from the same thing and they're going to slap their label on it. Is that right? That's most of the game out there. Yeah. But that's not, you know, the other roasters around town and, and, and white pine, the ones that are downtown and having a good name around town, we're all specialty roasters. Right. So, so, you, so you're getting the beans. We get samples sent ahead of time. Coffee's still one of those handshake industries. You agree to buy it 
roast up your sample, figure out what you want to do with it, whether it's going to be in a blend or a single origin. Uh, blend is kind of a dirty word sometimes in the uh, specialty coffee world, but uh, white pine, we definitely uh, believe in blends, the power of the blend. Um, but then you figure out what your use is with it and then make sure when the bags actually come to you from the importer that it is what you signed up for. Otherwise, you have right of refusal. So other other folks who are buying this bulk, they're buying it, the beans, and then roasting themselves, or they're buying the beans that are roasted? Uh, raw. Raw. Import, they're buying, they're buying it raw. They're buying it by, if you're buying it off the exchange, you're buying a ship, shipping container full of it, 41,000 pounds or more of it at a time. Just that's the unit. That's the, the measure of weight. Yeah, whereas we're buying, you know, a pallet at a time, you know, Four, base. 41,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's a small day for some roasteries. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, coffee is the second most traded commodity behind petroleum oil in the world and second most drank beverage behind water in the world. So your mind just has a hard time really wrapping around how big the industry really is. And like you wow. said, it's this, you know, every morning ritual where, you know, your body when it wakes up pretty much says, hey, hit the button or the alarm clock or the grinder's already going off and... You know, that's that's your cue for the day. So I, w- I want to uh, make a comparison here like you, you were just doing with the uh, spirits and beer world. So we have this bottle of Kessler on the table. Um, <laughs> Kessler is smooth as silk, and it's uh, uh, listed as an American blended whiskey. Um, I did not bring that. I just want everyone to know. <laughs> Julius yeah. Kessler Company in uh, this uh, was, uh, Kentucky. Gifted. Uh, I say that very sarcastically by, by Bob, uh, who is one of the owners of uh, the podcast studio here, Podcast Detroit. Um, uh, Vato, you, you like this. I, I think it's shit. Um, it, it is shit. Br- Brad, I, I think you think it's shit as well. Okay. It Con- is shit. Confirmed. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so here's the thing. It, it says right on there, it's, it's a blend of what? Uh, did you say this already? Neutral grain spirits and two-year-old whiskeys. Mm. Um, so we're, we're used to, you know, Jason. When Jason's around, he'll, he'll bring you know single barrel this and smooth ambler that, and, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you know, whatever whatever we seem to be drinking. And, and this is this is kind of like literally scraping the bottom of the barrel. This is this pun is pun totally intended. I'm so, glad you you know today's my day. <laughs> this is some somebody in a party store have found this underneath the shelf. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's just like a, you know, it's a $5. You're paying for the bottle. You're not paying for the liquid inside. <laughs> um, so something like this, like, w- compare this to a, like, is it is this like Folgers? And, and I'm thinking, I wanted to say Tim Hortons or Dunkin' Donuts, but okay. no, it's probably one below that. It's more like gas station coffee. Gas station coffee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So flavored with hazelnut creamer and powder, <laughs> you know, hazelnut syrup and powdered creamer. Well, so get, I mean, all right. So there's gas station coffee. There's Telway coffee. I mean. I mean, there's people that love, love, love Telway coffee, like sure. over everything else. Like, and like, that's like, and there's people that love Kessler, right? <laughs> what? I, I obviously for the artisanal coffee, small batch, you know, made with love type thing. There's going to be, you know, a difference in the water, the difference in the flavor, every everything about it's going to be completely different. Correct. What makes, in your opinion, what makes people flock to a Telway, to the McDonald's, to the you know the speedway. I mean, if you're if you're in like a trucking industry and you you have nothing else but that, I right, get it. But right. there are people that they'll drive twenty miles to go to a come and go and get their cup of coffee. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I you know I think a lot of it's just your heritage, your family values, just your what you're used to doing, and we're all creatures of habit. And uh, the other side of the brewing of specialty coffee is there's a whole game out there where 
to be honest, you can buy the best coffee you want and have a really good grinder and still make a horrible cup of coffee. So, you know, if it's made for you, it's convenient, it's there ready for you, there's a big additive there as well. So, mm. but that, that doesn't mean specialty coffee can't be produced like that or made that quickly or, or that bringing it to the masses kind of style. Like it shouldn't, we don't have such our, our, our product such on a high pedestal that uh, we don't believe it can, you know, come down to the masses. <laughs> so, but it, go ahead. But it takes something to bring it there. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I am not one that enjoys Tim Hortons. I actually, I, I used to drink it all the time, but I would drink it heavily sugared and heavily uh, creamed. Um, you know, it was very convenient because you're driving and you just pull up to the drive through window, blah, blah, blah. It's cheaper than going to Starbucks, which I find, uh, except for the uh, iced coffee at Starbucks, I find Starbucks to be overly bitter. Um, and... Dunkin' Donuts is kind of along the lines of the Tim Hortons kind of thing, but the Tim Hortons is like right by my house. So right. going to Tim Hortons all the time. And I mean, access is a key point. Yeah. Access. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, uh, I want more of this. Like you said, uh, it's not dumbing it down, to, but to make it more accessible. You know, mm-hmm. and I want to explain to folks, and I have been doing that in my work. I, I take people to all the artisanal coffee shops around, and, and downtown, midtown, Corktown, it's all over the place, right. which is great. Mm-hmm. But when you start going out into the rest of Detroit or the rest of the area, very, very hit and miss. It's yeah. hit and miss. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's, a, that's the hurdle I think that folks have to overcome. I agree. Is we're, we're mostly, we don't have a coffee shop. We're mostly a wholesale roaster. So we obviously would prefer to have a couple more independent high-end shops in the uh, suburbs yeah. and exurbs, not just downtown as well. Um, it is new to the area. You go East Coast, West Coast. You know, it's it's a little more uh, sure. prevalent. But uh, getting it in here at a fair price with a great product, it's a new set of rules that the consumer, we can't just expect the consumer to pick up 90% of the both the tab and the education. So a lot of that's on us and small roasters like us. And, you know, that's one of the, I brought up blends earlier, that we are a specialty roaster that enjoys blend coffees, you know, uh, different the, the blend Joe has is a, a Shanty Boy Ethiopian Costa Rican Brazilian. So, but they're all specialty coffees that comprise that blend. So it's available year round. Um, we'll use different countries in it throughout the season so that the consumer, like a good blended table wine, you wouldn't know year to year that you have different, different coffees or sorry, I'm reacting to something going on. In the table. No, I, all right. So <laughs> I, I'm going to jump in. So I, 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 I've been drinking coffee probably since I was two uh, I gave it up for eight months because I was giving up caffeine, and I slowly got back into it, like a cafe au lait. And well, first I was drinking chai to get my caffeine, and then I sorry, walked past an artisanal coffee house in Fredericksburg, uh, Virginia, and I was like, I gotta have it. The smells, the I had all these like, I had taste memories, smell memories of of everything. It just came at me. So, but I drink coffee with, uh, you know, some simple syrup now, some cream. Because I don't like the bitterness of coffee. So before the, we started the podcast, I said that because I'm like, are you a purist? Are you going to yell at me for drinking coffee with cream and sugar? Because <laughs> that's happened to me. I've gone into places oh, yeah. and they're like, no. oh, you can't. We, we all know where, where those places <laughs> right. are. Yeah, for sure. And you said, no, uh, this is not going to be bitter. And I tried it and I was like, this is not bitter at all. Yep. The coffee you're having is uh, from El Salvador, growing at really high elevation. 
Uh, this is one of the first lots. A uh, lot is just a batch of, you know, a season's worth of harvest from one one farmer. This is a bean called a pacamara, really big beans. But uh, point being, it's a naturally processed bean, and it has some sweetness to it and some fruit tones. So, yeah. So naturally processed means that it's a natural wash? Uh, so you got uh, the coffee is a fruit, right? Uh, not really a, a bean per se. Uh, we roast the seed of a fruit cherry. And uh, when it's naturally processed, they leave it in the fruit, the casing of the fruit itself for a couple of weeks. And uh, as it dries and the humidity lowers and decreases during each day, daily cycle, you know, temperatures go up, temperatures down. The sugars migrate in and out of that bean or that seed pit. Uh, so when you then two weeks later run it through the, the depulper and the, the seed that you have left will have a little bit of sugary residue left onto it. And that gets imparted in the uh, cup after you roast it. Here's the – this is actually the bean. Right and, and let's, so and big, let's, big beans too. Let's talk about the the, uh, the kind mm. of um, sequence, right? So you're, you're talking about um, the green bean at that point, right? Yes. The, okay. Yes. So how, is that how the bean arrives to you guys? Yes. We uh, – all our beans uh, will be sent – 90% of them are in a what's called Grain Pro agriculture-grade plastic bag that just preserves it. Um, that way when it's in shipping, it doesn't – take up and soak up all the flavors of the cargo next to it. So you got bananas spoiling in your shipping container next to your coffee, which, you know, modern shipping shouldn't happen, but it's definitely a historical thing that happened. Um, that hermetic uh, or agriculture grade plastic really ensures our quality. And we pay a lot more for beans. So, you know, there's all that uh, proper storage and materials brought into that agricultural product being brought into the country. Yeah. And then, so it arrives at your uh, at your shop in Lake Orion. Yep. Um, and, and then what happens? Well, it uh, first an importer gets its hands on it and just fills out all the paperwork for us. Most of the coffee will then go to a terminal either in New Jersey or South Carolina or sometimes on the Pacific Coast, sometimes Houston, depending on the country of origin. Then uh, gets shipped to us. We will acclimate it for a couple of days just to make sure the humidity and the temperature is stabilized before we throw it even a test batch into the the roaster uh and for a single origin coffee from one farmer one bean you know uh that coffee may last us three months maybe it'll last us six months but it won't stay in our roastery for more than a half a year our goal coffee is a fresh crop come you know uh, agricultural product it from year to year you really shouldn't be holding on to your beans more than Eight nine months a year at the most. That, those are green. Those are the, the, like the raw, un, un, okay. unroasted. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Before we ever do anything with it, it'll dry out and eventually won't roast correctly. Interesting. Yeah, it keeps. We get it at like thirteen percent moisture, I believe. Our roaster would, you know, <laughs> if I got that wrong, I'll, I'll hear about it. But uh, I think we get it around thirteen percent or so moisture. Uh, if it goes a couple more points down, starts getting a little more brittle and it won't roast correctly. So let's take a step back from the harvesting on uh, in the country of origin to, to you guys. What's the what's the time frame? How long does it take? You? Uh, can be a couple months, all, all the way up to almost a year, depending on wow. uh, both the the quality is the wrong word to use, but just the the type of process uh, and then the shipping. It'll sh- it'll continue to dry even after whether it's a washed coffee or a natural coffee. Uh, it can sit in the country of origin and dry for, you know, three months, depending on the weather and the, the latitude that it's at. Uh, and then, you know, a month on a ship and then it'll sit in a customs, imp- you know, import lot. Joe knows all about that <laughs> uh, for a while. And then uh, finally we'll get our hands on it. So it can be for that additional moisture to get dried out of the bean. It can be three to four months in country of production. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And there's a layer a parchment layer right outside the seed that the consumer never really sees, sees, and that will be kept on the uh, 
the bean right until just before it's exported for most countries. So it's just another protective little envelope that keeps the moisture content and everything correct in the bean before they uh, put in a in a burlap or a jute bag like we see them all shipped to us in. How, how are small batch artisanal roasters fighting their farmers? I'm sorry? How are you guys fighting your farmers? Uh, most of ours have come through importers. Uh, and with the whole social media thing, we probably also get – I don't know, at least a farmer a week or somebody or some relative in the country saying, hey, I got this uncle or, hey, I have this property down in Costa Rica. Here, send us some samples. Uh, we don't have that many offerings each year, so we can't, you know, we don't want people to waste their resources either. So a lot of times we'll just be like, thanks, maybe we'll get around to it. But uh, we deal with four main importers and then a couple direct farm relationships. So now, okay, so now let's go back to the life of the, the bean here. So we have, they're, they're now in your shop. What's the next step? Uh, sample roasting, uh, to not on our production machine. Uh, we use a fluid bed roaster, basically a glorified but really nice uh, popcorn popper because it's a, it's an air fluid bed. Air, fluid air roasters are basically air. Air is, acts like a fluid, so that's you can think of the beans just floating around in midair while they're roasting. Uh, and we'll d- decide you roast all your samples to a medium profile. You want a baseline to judge all your coffees off of. So then we'll cup it. In the, in the lab, do our little own tasting notes because every time you roast a different bean to a different roast level at a different profile curb, curve, uh, time temperature, all that kind of stuff, you're going to get a different flavor note out of it. So the importer may say it's peach, blueberry cobbler, and, you know, lem- uh, Meyer lemon, which is everybody's favorite from 2016, but it's a little passe now. <laughs> um, but uh, w- we may get caramel you know, burnt sugar and passion fruit out of it instead because we roasted a little bit longer and developed some more sugars and there's so many chemicals, you know, different configurations going on inside there, you can get different flavor notes. So once we do the cupping at the table, uh, just like a sommelier would, we spit out a lot of coffee, you know, slurp it in, rinse it around your mouth, spit it out, get that kind of thing, and we'll decide what roast level we want and and uh, what uh, flavor notes we're going to sell it at. So, uh, uh, yeah, so the, um, the flavor notes uh, th- that – let's go back to that for a second because I've heard before that wine has a particular number of flavor notes and coffee has double. Sure, that. sure. Um, from a consumer standpoint, that seems like a bunch of bullshit sure. because if coffee – let's say coffee has 1,500 flavor profiles uh, just as a number. Um, the average consumer is drinking coffee for caffeine. Yes. And um, and maybe a couple uh, – the one that always jumped out to me is Ethiopia Harar. It tastes like blueberries. Blueberry, sure. Every time I've had it, like it's a big cup of blueberries. Right. Um, but I, I don't have the time to figure out what other 9 or 15 flavor profiles are in that cup of coffee. Blueberries jump out at me like, oh, it tastes like blueberries. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I drink it and walk away from it. Um, who Who are those 1,500 flavor profiles for? Uh, you're going to get obviously the third wave coffee community on board. You're going to get some, uh, just food nerdy people and a lot of engineers love making coffee because <laughs> you can dive into every little aspect of it. And every time you tweak the water temperature, a grind setting, how high you pour the water from in your gooseneck kettle over your V60 or Cleto wave. Oh, I mean, it's, these things all matter, but to, to, to answer your question, I think there's more people every day that are at least appreciating, if not outright manipulating those factors themselves. If you're not eat, if you're not drinking Tim Hortons and Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's, and and you're getting into some of the stuff, then it's gonna 
be a natural thing that you start tasting everything differently. Well, oh yeah, and, and I do taste everything differently, but I, I want to. I mean, I appreciate the coffee, but it's like you know, like I think the and I think what I'm getting at maybe is that they, in the morning, like most people don't have time to just like sit and appreciate. Right? No, it's, a lot of our clients are uh, doing the uh, ubiquitous, really unfortunate, you know, pods style systems during the weeks and then on the weekend they'll get out a french press or a v60 yeah, and pod take, cur- like keurig like that yeah yeah okay. without you know getting blatant yeah well i mean so I, that that was my that was my plan so i got a chemex i have a gooseneck electric mm-hmm. cuddle right uh i just my plan was during the week i was going to do keurigs and i got a keurig in my office keurig at home uh i have a uh cuisinart grind and brew that i never use anymore because i'm it's I'm on the go. I need one cup. I don't need to brew four cups of coffee. I'm not sitting there. There's some people do. They sit there and drink a few cups before they go to work or whatever. But I'm one cup. I'm brewing it into my to-go thing, and I'm out. On the weekend, my plan was, you know, to to taste my coffee. Does that make sense? Like in, in mm-hmm. it, during the week, uh, Keurig, you know, heavy amounts of uh, International Delight and <laughs> uh, some MCT oil, you know, flavored MCT oil I put into it. And What the hell is MCT oil? It's a uh, medium chain triglyceride. It's energy. It doesn't help me. It does what? help, man. <laughs> All about supplements. <laughs> no, no. Is it like what is it made by? Is it like a? It's it's an oil. It's a, this is an emulsified oil. Okay. Uh, uh, they're not a show sponsor, but through the company on it, onit dot com. They also have a podcast, but uh, they have it. Uh, they first came out with it uh, non emulsified, which is very hard to mix a water and oil, uh, obviously. But oh, then right. they have. Emulsified ones that have flavors. So they have vanilla, they have like a cinnamon flavor, a pumpkin flavor, a couple other ones I don't use, like strawberry, because I don't know how strawberry would do well in my coffee. But um, a lot of coffees have some strawberry notes. So yeah, yeah jump no. on it. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, the next thing I'm going to jump on though is and, uh, and tell me what you think about this. this is going completely off topic, but <laughs> what do you think about adding butter? So like bullet, bullet, bullet uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, not my game. Uh, I, all I'd really address on that one is. Uh, you know, the the other side of uh, their argument about the, you know, different bacterias or fungus and, you know, disease pathogens that can grow in coffee, that is a real issue. Um, but once you get into the specialty coffee world, you're really not dealing with that those factors anymore. Our coffees are all taken care of pretty well. There's some beans from Sumatra will come in with some, you know, some ugly teeth in it kind of deal. They, they look like pretty ratty beans, but uh, that's just a factor of Sumatran coffee. That's And I haven't tried it yet. I mean, I have... I have a couple bullet ones in my fridge, uh, but I was thinking about adding uh, butter, right. you know, the grass-fed uh, butter to I mean, it's coffee. A, it's a of- nutritionist view of drinking a coffee beverage where that's not really where we're coming from, but we yeah. understand th- their point you, you and add what it the consumer's looking for. And you blend it. I, I've, done, I've done that before. Oh, you have? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about salt? You heard about the salt? Sure, sure. I mean, you hear everything. Okay. Egg whites to get rid of the the grounds. You can, you know, if you want a true uh, uh, cube, uh, cubano, then you know you put the sugar inside the porta filter, which will just ruin your espresso machine. So I don't see why people still continue to do that, even though it was the original traditional way to do it. Hmm. Um, there, I, there are as many – there's way more wrong ways to make coffee. There's only one or two right ways to make coffee. So mo- – and I hate to say it, most of the what-if questions are, yeah, it's not going to be good coffee, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> so what he's saying is you're better off buying like cheap commodity shit and putting your stuff in it, right? And then – I'm totally saying that, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of town starting tomorrow morning, so none of this is going to affect me for a little while. No, I, would, I don't mind taking good coffee and then 
I, I, I would like to get away from my creamers. Like I got away from refined sugars and I just do uh, simple. And fortunately, a lot of places use like the raw sugar. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit better. So I'm getting away from the white sugars. And I used to do tons and tons of like uh, squirts of the, uh, you know, vanilla or hazelnut syrups and things like that. Like the the kind you get at Starbucks or any other um, kind of place. And, and then loaded with cream and I'm trying to get away from that. I would love to be able to just drink coffee that tastes like this. And this would be considered a light roast. This is a medium for us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's right where I want to be. But to go back to the other point, I want to be able to figure out a way to do that, you know, on a regular basis without, um, you know, without, uh, having to, to fight against time. So more questions than you'd ever believe. We just had an open house at our roastery last weekend. We had about a hundred people come through and, you know, I, I, to, to a T you get the same questions over, which is good. You know, that means I can provide the same answers over <laughs> and over again. And it's uh, pretty easy to help people. Um, how to brew at home is one of our big challenges with people. And, you know, the pod craze took over with uh, the cure eggs and, you know, Nespresso, that whole deal. Um, but, Brewing your own coffee at home is actually coming back kind of, you know, trends go in pendulum. So the pendulum's kind of coming back. There's really good brewers that don't cost a lot. They're so much better than they used to be. Uh, the Mr. Coffees of old yore, you know, they would have huge temperature issues. That that was their biggest Achilles heel is they'd spike the temperature of the water. Then it'd go way too low. Low water temperature equals sour coffee. Really high water temperature equals bitter overbrewed coffee, overextracted coffee. Um, so for now, for sixty or hundred bucks, depending on how much coffee you want to brew, you can get a really good brewer from Bonavita. It's a SCA, Specialty Coffee Association certified brewer. You know, under hundred bucks, you can get a Breville or a Cuisinart Burr grinder, B U R R. You know, it's the style you want. You don't want the little Worthy Blade grinder. That's a spice mill. So a lot of these things are people are spending the, this money anyways. They might as well spend ten bucks more and actually get the merit or the worth out of the product, and then a better taste profile as well. Because I don't think most people that are buying specialty coffee are really getting the value out of it when they're sure. making it at their own homes, and that is what will change the habit. Is once you get the value out of it. Mm. And so to to that to to Brad's point, uh, I bought a it was like an Amazon flash deal last year, a hand grinder. I hand grind my coffee every morning now. It sounds like, you know. So you don't have time issues. <laughs> well, I mean, you build it in, right? Like it, it, yeah. it becomes like, it, so. I put a drill bit on mine. Yeah? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Just <laughs> take the take the handle off, see what the top nut looks like, yeah. and just put your uh, cordless battery drill on there. and <laughs> Yeah. Whoa, I, didn't even think, I would never thought of that. I wouldn't have thought I of that. I mean, it ends up being as big as a coffee grinder, but you can still travel <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and so buying whole beans now. Versus having the coffee already ground, which I, I can tell, uh, we've talked, Brad, we've talked about this before. It's like the, the, the bloom. Yes. Right. Um, that wasn't present in the coffee I was brewing before because it had, uh, the gases off gas. Yeah. Um, so when you grind your own beans, like there's this whole, like almost like a, well, it's called a bloom. And it looks like it's like this presentation, this foam almost that, that comes up when I pour it into the French press, you do a French press every morning. And that's a quick way to brew coffee too. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of it's the gateway to specialty coffee. Kind of view it that way. That's the the rounding errors for time and the grind size are the, the most uh, you know the forgiving for the the home brewer. You can you know if it's three three minutes and forty seconds, no big deal. If it's four minutes and ten seconds, you're getting a little off, but it's still not going <laughs> to hurt you in the French press game. Whereas if you're doing a fine grind 
on a uh, V60 or something, you're off by a couple degrees of water temperature or, uh, you know, two grams of coffee, too much product and your taste is going to be all messed up. So, so I, I have to ask, and I, I know the, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. It's, uh, so if I were to go to Starbucks and buy a, a bag of their whole bean coffee, grind it at home, is my experience going to be just like it, what, just like it is at Starbucks anyway? Like it's going to be like, a, where did, where are you saying you bought the beans from? The, the, if I just buy it from Starbucks. From like, the cafe itself? Yeah. Uh, for a, you know, just an auto drip coffee. Sure. Their espresso machines are obviously a lot, you know, more robust. I'm not saying that you're going to get a good beverage, but the machine itself, you couldn't replicate the actual product. So when Starbucks, so let's use the example of the one that just opened up in Birmingham. The uh, Star Reserve. The Reserve. Yes. Um, I haven't been in there yet, admittedly, but are they still pulling from the same type of coffee that, uh. No, they they went out and sourced their their own specialty, you know, beans. Their single origin offerings. Not that they didn't offer those before, but these are, for you know, they would their smallest uh, lot of you know, say it's from Rwanda or something for their Star Reserve stores. That would swallow twenty five companies our size. You know, they it's still a massive scale, but for Starbucks, it's a pretty reserved offering. Um, I still don't feel like the quality is there, and I'm still not a fan of the roast level. But uh, you know, a lot of the coffee industry storytelling—you got to you know unwind the narrative a little bit. Starbucks and Pete's, those are kind of like what's referred to as second wave coffee companies, and they did roast a little darker. Um, they did create the idea of a specialty coffee, but uh, you know, the the more modern consumer is understanding you can get way better results from not spending as half as much money and just doing it yourself a lot of the times. And, but at the same time you walk in that store and it lines out the door every day. So, you know, I'm obviously wrong. <laughs> they got, they got the fun cups, right? You know, they got the swag that you mm-hmm. can get there. They got, uh, yeah. you know, the little, now they got all those little, uh, bites, you know, you can get the little, I don't know their there are quiches, mini quiches or. I thought you said you hadn't gone. Oh no, I go to I. I oh, haven't, oh, oh I haven't okay. Gone. Yeah, no, I go I to. Haven't I haven't gone to that store, but no, I okay. go to Starbucks. I, I actually, I really enjoy the iced coffee at Starbucks. I get a little vanilla added to it. I think that was a great, refreshing summertime kind of drink. Sure. Um, I love iced coffee, so I'll brew, uh, you know, a pot at home. That's when I pull out the Cuisinart, brew a ten cup thing, throw it in a. I cool it down. I don't do an actual cold brew. Uh, you know, we're doing it in the fridge for twenty four hours or whatever. But I'll do. Right. I'll do a nice cut where I, I cool the temperature down. The thing that I hate the word. Oh my gosh! Go to the place and it's like, you have iced coffee? Yeah. Uh, how do you make it? Oh, we put ice in it. We put it in a shaker thing, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it's pretty common. It, it's totally common, yeah. and and that's it's a yeah. it's half of my job is uh, fielding the question and then interpreting the question and finding out really where the question's coming from. Because just like you're saying, the iced coffee versus cold brew versus a hot bloomed cold brew versus, you know, all this room temperature stuff. There's any version of a cold brew going on right now, like our crack lack of that's sitting on the table right there. That's a true cold brew, uh, triple filtered in through paper. Pretty good shelf life for a non-pasteurized product. Um, but that we, we've been doing really well with that. And we thought cold weather would slow that down we've been selling more of it than we did this summer just because we're gaining some traction around town but you know people will come in and get a gallon of it just for their household use sure yeah yeah at traditional cold brew you grind the beans right put it in a container Ref- in Frigid. brew it in a refrigerated environment yep. yeah yep and uh the, the hard part then if you don't have a system because i know they make that uh, body brew 
uh, system that uh, is a little bit easier to get rid of the the, yeah, if the grinds and if you're a consumer at home, there's a couple companies. I really the the OXO OXO. I'm not even sure. I've seen it in stores. I'm just not sure how to say that name. It's, you know, OXO. I haven't been in Tarjay in a while, so I, I don't really know how to say that. Um, but the that that brews pretty good. Um, there are four or five different. I'm not a big fan of the toddy system. You got to get rid of the the kind of the liner bucket scenario pain to clean but there's in the last two years there's been 50 new products on the on the market that in let you make cold brew and clean it up easier at least they're showing up on my facebook feed because you know facebook is definitely listening to everything that i say through siri mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i'll talk about cold brew today and then tomorrow like i'm gonna look and they're like oh they're watching you. It's scary. Yeah. Oh no! It's, <laughs> yeah. You can search something five minutes later, and all of a sudden, it's on the side of your Facebook. I can feed. tell you some of the algorithms and stuff, and well, we can that'd be another episode in a different podcast. But <laughs> conspiracy theorist one hundred and one. But it's true. Um, here's a question: You got a couple of vessels here mm-hmm. bringing hot coffee. Uh, any 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 science? Not science, but any kind of uh, you know from from your experience, like the the better ones. I like the Contigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I think it's got a good seal on it. And, right. You know, you, they're super, super cheap at Costco. You get two of them for 14 bucks. Um, any do's or don'ts for stuff like that? Uh, don't have anything that keeps the coffee hot with extra energy. You know, whether it sits on your desktop or the brewery that you buy. Uh, any brewer that has the hot plate on the bottom of it should just, you know, stay back in the 70s and 80s, basically. Um, but for traveling and that kind of thing, uh, Glass lined for larger containers, but that's not really practical for, you know, putting in your uh, your trailblazer. Uh, no, I don't have a whole lot for you. I, I like, uh, I have a little National Park bunk from REI. It's single serving. It's awesome. But, yeah. yeah Whatever's but the, next to you, man. Whatever's clean. But they do sell a lot of those, uh, like you said, those little uh, heating pads for your mug. Mm-hmm. They'll yeah. plug into your keyboard even. I mean, it's just hilarious. Right. Yeah. Anything to, yeah. And why, why are those, why should they stay in the 80s? Uh, you you don't want to continually apply heat to your coffee. You're going to continue to change the flavor, uh, and it's going to turn bitter on you, just like you know that uh, greasy spoon coffee. You know, if coffee is fresh brewed, doesn't matter. You know, if it's decent beans, okay roasted, and it's freshly brewed, you're going to be okay. You know, you might still need to add some cafe, you know, ca- <laughs> coffee mate to it. But uh, you know, if it's a good coffee. And you got a good insulated container. It's gonna keep its flavor profile for a good hour or so, forty-five minutes, really. You know, you'll get the good uh, crafts and coffee urns will keep it fresh and tasting pretty accurate for about forty-five minutes. Uh, and then, just getting back into specialty coffee. On the side note, the as the coffee cools, you'll definitely notice the better the coffee, the the better it'll taste cold as well as it comes down. It'll go through a range of flavor changes and you know, you'll get the chocolate and fruit at first and then all of a sudden you'll have a little savory note come in and at the end, maybe some allspice or something. But you know, this coffee, the Los Positos from El Salvador that we're having, it tastes good. Just you can leave it on the the table for two hours, come back to it and it tastes great. A little bit different than when it was, you know, fresh off the, the, the pot, but still really enjoyable. After, the last couple of years of drinking the, you know, this small, uh, you know, specialty coffee, uh, it, it is virtually impossible to drink anything from, um, uh, like the, the larger, right. Large scale roasters. Why, what do they do differently that, that makes all their coffee taste have that really kind of, it's almost like an acrid taste to me. Mm-hmm. It's like this, like burnt, definitely um stale they do everything wrong 
um, <laughs> from the, the the commodity beans have more flaws, flavor defects. Each defect has a point value. Once you get over a certain point value, your cup's ruined. Um, so you got mold, you got fungus, you got bugs, you got all kinds of issues with it. They're not dense enough. They don't roast well. Um, they weren't good genetics to start with. They might have a lot of robusta in it, which we haven't even got into the difference between Arabica and robusta coffees. Well, let's do that real quick. Robusta is really low grown, really low quality, but about twice as much caffeine. And there's obviously more land in the world that is at lower altitude than is at higher altitude. So there's more places around the equator that you can grow robusta. So it's, there's most a lot of coffee out there and even more each day is going to be Robusta. Is, is that off topic here? Well, not it's on topic, but off the path of where we're going, death wish coffee. Sure. That, that, that is probably Robusta. Or, or... They have a weird hybrid blend. I, they, <laughs> I've seen different articles that they've themselves have put out there. Um, and they say they originally that they had a, uh, Arabica Robusta hybrid, which, I you know I'm not quite a botanist I'm pretty nerdy but I didn't get to that level um and then 2 years later it was just basically they'd stopped referencing it so I'm not sure but yes okay. there is some um robusta genetics definitely in their coffee cuz they say like, their coffee is like 3 or 4 times stronger than regular it's like correct. Some, it's yep. just like a gmo like or is it no it's more of a say natural mutation or a or a bred in you okay. know their coffee although it's um very homogenous as far as genetics, i.e. one plant is like the next, kind of like apples. You, you can graft the plant and get a whole orchard or a whole plantation of plants that are basically genetically identical. Uh, you don't get a lot of genetic drift from one generation to the next. Um, but you do have mutations that occur naturally. And then maybe one farmer noticed, hey, the beans from that tree were really high in caffeine. Let's start with that one and we'll put it on that hillside next year and it's a new test batch. You know, there's all this pacamara bean that we have in front of us is a hybrid between two different styles of beans a, a pacus and a margo jepe margo you notice the beans in here were pretty big compared to your average coffee beans the margo jepe beans are twice as big as those but they don't wow. taste that great so they you know bred it with a pacus plant and then you get the good attributes from the pacus the size of the margo jepe and you know, and one Vendez comes down with his little donkey. Yeah. Well, this this is Ignacio Gutierrez, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's coming from on high. That's for sure. He's got, he's got a nice uh, lot of land down there in El Salvador. Uh, so okay, so you, you got the two types of beans, and then so these are back to the commodity kind of right. The yeah. Large scale roasting. So yep. then and what happens? Some extra caffeine in there as well. That's the robusta. But uh, as far as so they're buying. It's hard to say they're buying the wrong beans because they're accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. They're roasting millions of pounds a year, and they're still, you know, the consumer ninety seven percent of the consumers out there are still drinking that style of coffee. The uh, real quick cyber, there just isn't enough actual coffee land in the world to make specialty coffee for everybody. So you you know you're starting with a, a a little pinhole to start with, and you can't really ever make up that ground. So, but you you're also fighting against years and years of marketing. Oh, definitely. And years and years of, you know, this consumerism where this kind of shitty coffee has been put out there as like the thing to have. I mean, astronauts probably drank it in space and oh, Sanka, yeah, yeah, that was that was the first wave, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sanka, Sanka had uh, Fast Times Ridge Mile High, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse it me, it was just, everywhere. I just switched to Sanka. So. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break today, <laughs> right? Like, so you're fighting against that, and then. Uh, you're also fighting against like, all right, am I going to pay a dollar fifty for a cup of coffee, or am I going to pay five dollars for a cup of coffee? Now Starbucks kind of broke that door open for you guys. 
you know, with the uh, higher gonna, price points. Yeah, we're going right. to charge a higher price point. And, mm-hmm. But now Starbucks is the one who's on the other end going, oh, I'm kind of the, you know, <laughs> I'm not quite Tim Hortons, but I'm also not. You know, you guys or any of the other? No, not even. Know. Not even. You know what I'm clo- saying? Like, oh, that's, I, I know it every day. Yeah, they broke yeah. the door open, mm-hmm. but you know, now they have their own. They created the. They created the idea of the product, but then really didn't deliver the product. And that's I. I could ownership changes. Over I couldn't say I, I fault that company. They're doing what they set out to do. You know, I, that well, it did work for Tees, and they sold that company really quick. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They had the Tivana was was Starbucks, and and they're. Like let's sell hundred dollar teas and like uh, you know once <laughs> <laughs> like uh, this is not going to work all it's like there are some and, and we should have at some point some uh, specialty teas on here you know companies and whatnot well but, we had Joe all on here no no you're right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and um but Joe is like I, the level his level of specialty is a little bit even above like what we're talking about I think he he's like going and sourcing directly and he's selling tea that's like. In the hundreds of dollars per ounce, sometimes. Sure. And uh, I mean, so that's a coffee. Is there coffee that's a hundred dollar? Like, oh, there's coffee that's way more expensive than that. And, uh, and I'm not talking about the the little poop. No, no, no. That civet coffee. No, I don't. That is Wait, poop coffee. Uh, poop co- so there's this, ant, this weasel, right? That's a civet. Cat. Civet. That's a civet. Yeah, now there's okay. now there's monkey coffee. There's elephant coffee. Civet cat coffee. Elephant Basically, coffee? the and the digestive enzymes are supposed to do something magical to the beans, and then the the beans are uh, by it, human hands taken like, out of the excrement, and then you ro- then roast it and brew the coffee. Double blind taste. The, I'll just put this to bed. Double di- double blind <laughs> taste test. It's not. It, there's nothing good about it. This is like unicorns. Like pooping. you seen the movie The Bucket List? No. Okay. So. <laughs> Yeah, then you wouldn't. You yeah, yeah. it's in there. Right. It explains well. everything you need to know about it. <laughs> okay, so, so that coffee is very expensive because because of the processing method right. and the marketing. Right. So there, the world record was just set at auction, uh, two thousand two hundred dollars, roughly a pound raw, for uh, a Panamanian geisha coffee. From yeah. So, what, what is yeah. why? Uh, I mean, most of the reason why is that it was at auction and people are bidding each other up, obviously. <laughs> but uh, Geisha is a – it wasn't quite a lost variety, but it kind of disappeared for a little bit in Central America. It's named after a town in Ethi- – or region in Ethiopia. Uh, you'll see many spellings and I'll probably get some emails just, you know, once this airs that I pronounced it wrong. But there's like five <laughs> pronunciations of it, so I can't feel too bad about it. But um, really low yielding plant, but a really amazing high quality has like some cedar notes to it. But they're starting to uh, breed the genetics. So now you'll have Colombian geisha, you'll have Costa Rican geisha, whereas uh, originally it was from Panama. And those are the the Panamanian ones are still the ones that win all the the high record prices. See, it's all it's all the same, man. We're gonna have the same thing as whiskey. It's gonna be like, oh, this is a small batch and blah blah blah. Well, it's, I mean, it's already there. It's, then, yeah. Then they're gonna like, uh, like, take the bottle and and start filling it with Folgers. <laughs> We're like, that's the same thing. You know? you know, we started the. I guess we started the conversation at the at the floor of wh- of where we start. But I mean, it, like you were saying, compared to the tea or, and Joe. Uh, we're right there too. I really don't feel that it's it's any different. We just also offer stuff that's a little more reasonably priced. We offer coffees uh, that one like fourth place in Brazil, Cup of Excellence, three years ago, and you know five thousand coffees you know entered, and we got the fourth place one and and roasted it, and you know. I mean, Joe's offering things that are accessible too. He has right, sure, a, right. a holiday market, but um, yeah, I think this kind of idea of uh. And Vato, I think you were kind of getting at this is like market share. It's like uh, 
you know, coffee. Can you compare coffee now to craft beer? Maybe a few years ago, I do every day. Yeah, definitely. That and the I mean, there, because coffee is somewhat new, we're still trying to get out there in the Midwest a little bit, and and on the West Coast too. I don't want to you know completely make us sound like we're dunderheads, um, <laughs> but it is. There is so much leg room for interpretation, and then the marketing gets confu- confuses everybody. But to the bre- like, there should be a roasters guild for Michigan, and everyone should get along with each other and jive on, and you know, have have a good time. So I I could see a couple roasting competitions coming up in the next couple of years. That'd be cool. Um, it, everyone's got their own, you know. Everyone gets the same bean, roasts their interpretation of it, presents their version of it, and the, their desired brewing method. And, you know. I, have a good time. That's an awesome idea. There's there and mo, like even Columbus, Ohio, they have one. They have a you know instead of a pub crawl, it's a roastery you know hop. You know, oh, you're not crawling. We, we could have like a <laughs> summer guild uh, festival, or, you know, winter festival. Everyone's going to be all caffeinated. <laughs> not the worst thing to ever happen. <laughs> so uh, here's a here's a, a question comment that I think that you'd appreciate, Joe, because this is definitely your uh, you know you're kind of like a. a Billywick, I guess, to say, but a lot of this has to do with the idea that folks like you, folks in uh, your situation of this of this smaller batch kind of thing, need to find ways to educate the, the consumer. And part of that is that wherever this is at, those folks need to be educated on how to educate. So how much of what you do not just deals with the roasting and selecting of, of the beans and this and that, but how much of that goes into training where this is going and, and the people that are, you know, taking helm of uh, way more than we thought when we wrote our business plan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the curve is every day right in front of us trying to get people to. Um, a lot of it is getting rid of old habits too. So you got the old habits that you have to erase, and then you have to impart a whole new set of new uh, learning curve as well. It's it's mo as far as my job at the roastery, I do brewing sciences, uh, and I do a lot of sales. But uh, it is at least half my job is educating, not just in general on brewing, but you know, why our coffees, how they should be treated, stored, you know, the lifespan of that product, the whole deal, uh, it gets pretty, uh, a lot of, a lot of coffee emergencies out there <laughs> that, uh, education can get out of the way. You get a lot, you get a lot of rumors out there too, of like how coffee should be, you know, like some people, uh, will routine, will religiously keep coffee into the freezer. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's, unless you have the world's best commercial freezer and, you know, a cryovac style air system, you know, you're, no, uh, too many temperature changes. You know, if you have a, a coffee that you got in Kona or Jamaica on your honeymoon and you are very nostalgic for it and you want to save it for two years, that's really to me the only valid reason to put coffee in your freezer. Now, that's not to say there. there's companies in Japan that are storing green unroasted beans and they have those in the freezer for, you know, five years, then do a test batch, seven years, break it out again like, a you know, someone with a bourbon, you know, tasting it. But uh, that's a complete sidebar. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't keep your coffee in the freezer or the fridge. The bag the bag you have right here and right now. So uh, that bag, uh, I don't know if you can describe it afterwards, but that bag, what a lot of people don't really uh, get is that well suitable in a uh almost on a countertop dark environment it doesn't have to be as long as it's not open uh because of the cool way dry it, place just yeah. like you would flower because you the don't way want, you sealed it mm-hmm. you and, and got the oxygen out of it. there's a valve on it right you have a valve right yeah that's a one-way degassing valve it only lets co2 and other gases out no oxygen will get back in um but when you go to the market and you get your whole beans and you put them into that bag you know 
whether it's any of the local markets in Westmore, everyone has mm-hmm. whole beans. Yep. It doesn't have this kind of uh, exchange of error. No. So you got to treat those beans a little different than you have like the ones that you're you're dealing with. Yep. I if you're buying it out of a bin, you 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 usually lost the game to start with. I hate to say it, and I know that's a lot of the coffee that's sold out there in every grocery store. Um, I feel bad for the consumer that buys coffee out of a clear bin with a scoop. That it, uh, I would always buy, even if I wasn't you know in the coffee industry, I would always buy a small amount of coffee in a valved bag. Try to get it roasted within two weeks of the date you're buying it on yeah, two months at the most, but really two weeks is where you want to be. But, but roasting dates are something that those are really recent, right? Like in the last like couple, probably two years or, or... in this area. Sure. Yeah. yeah okay. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is, uh, once the third wave came around and I know we're referencing that a lot without really explaining it. First wave of Sanka, second wave, uh, Starbucks and Pete's kind of, uh, and then the term third wave was coined in 1999 to just, you know, smaller lots, higher quality, more unique flavor profiles, that kind of stuff. Do, do, so we, we haven't really touched on, we touched on high end price, but like from a price point level in a grocery store, people find your beans, um, next to, uh, a commodity bean. What, how does the price compare? Sure. Our 12, 12 ounce, let's start there. Most specialty coffees are 12 ounce bags, not pound bags. Um, we're $14, $15 for a 12 ounce bag at a store. Um, now that commodity bag could go as low as six and could be as high as nine or 10, depending on the marketing. Um, and then just a kind of what region we're in. Our coffees would sell our, you know, we have $15 bags at retail. Uh, some of our specialty ones are eight eight ounces, not twelve ounces, for that same fifteen dollars. But uh, in Portland or San Francisco, those bags would be eighteen to twenty four dollars wow. all day long. The the smaller eight ounce bags, or the either both oh, both both either oh. either that just that level oh, of that quality. Level. We're we're selling our, this quality in this market. You know, we we have people order online from California and Seattle all the time, and even with shipping, it's better priced than the coffee is roasted in their own town. How do you get the store to the store that's selling bulk? How do you get them to push your product? Got to get them to the roastery and let them see the process, the quality of the machine we have. Hand built uh, machine called a Joper from Portugal, amazing machine. Uh, the quality of that material, just our our passion, how much we care for what we're doing, and then the education. Well, you know, whoever you want from your store can come up to our roastery and get educated. And then we're in so many stores around town that we're the staff's favorite coffee. At least they wink, wink, nod, nod. Tell us that. I'm, you know, I don't know. <laughs> do you do, tell do, you do the, like tastings at the stores and stuff like that too? Or? Oh yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. Well, they, if they have time, they'll come to the roastery because they can get a more complete picture of what we do. Um, but if they don't have the time or they want it to be for more people. We'll bring a little mobile setup and do a tastings right in front of them. We should we should have more stuff like that. I mean, I've been back when I drank beer. I went to breweries and did tours of that and did tours of distilleries. I mean, I don't. Do you, you have a chance. We have two more open houses: December 9th and December sixteenth. So, little plug there. Come up great. to Lake Orion. Well, I, but this goes back to the original point that when we opened the show. It's it, coffee's taken for granted. More, I think more yeah. than a, any other beverage, where it's like it's so inexpensive. The, the cheap stuff is so inexpensive and. Um, it's something that you're used to drinking every day. It, and so mass produced. I mean, I, I I wanted to switch to the Chemex w- because I got pissed at myself that I was buying coffee at Bed Bath & Beyond, right? <laughs> like, no, seriously. Like, I was there to buy coffee and I, the same coffee I get at Target in a box or Kroger or wherever. I was buying at Bed Bath & Beyond because I had a 20% off coupon. 
I was like, I shouldn't be able to buy coffee at Bed Bath and Beyond. I, I should have to go somewhere and you know buy a bag. But then I'm stuck to what you say. Like, you know, I'm the pod is just so accessible the to me. The power of the pod, yeah. Yeah, man. Like it was it's so accessible. And I went from, you know, the Cuisinart grind and brew, which I loved because I'd buy whole I buy I was buying whole beans for years and years and years. I was like, gonna grind at home, no big deal, blah, blah, blah. And I was doing the bins because at least to me it felt better than buying the it grind. felt a little more authentic yeah right. it did right. like i was doing something and the wooden side on the barrel made it just look awesome right yeah man i tell you they get you with that and <laughs> they the do they're, they're good, good at marketing it. Yeah. they're very good at it yeah but then i started i started going to the artisanal places and getting the pour overs mm-hmm. once i got the pour overs i was like this game tastes, over this tastes mm-hmm. so different you, and, you can see people's eyes actually change they'll come up to the roastery and some a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend will come with somebody and you know, one person's a coffee person, the second person's just there to go along, get along. And halfway through, all of a sudden, their eyes, you know, they're looking at the corner, they're looking at the books on the shelves, and all, you know, then you have a convert there. And it's, you can actually see the difference when people taste a good cup of coffee that's well roasted, fresh, freshly ground, and then brewed correctly. And yeah. they just start nodding, and they don't even have the word that, and, you know, like sommeliers have a problem with too. The consumer, they just don't have the words for the experience that they're having. Like this is huge not di- it coffee. It is a huge difference. I, I could, I could tell. And I've gone from Telway and Starbucks and Tim Hortons and blah blah blah. And then the first time I had that that pour, I was like, "What the fuck is this? This mm-hmm. is delicious. This is like I could." When you when you were talking about the flavor profiles, like who cares? At that point, I could taste all the flavor prof- profiles that they were they had on the chalkboard for mm-hmm. this coffee. And it was, I don't know, it was four twenty five for a cup. You know, it wasn't anything super ridiculous, you know, um, you know, considering you're spending whatever three bucks at the at the low end at Starbucks or something like that, you know, so. Well, and I think a lot of what we're getting at here is like the, the story that that uh, that each cup of coffee can tell. Right. And I mean, from the perspective of like teaching someone to, to you know, the education component of like buying white pine coffee versus buying whatever else is on the shelf is, is are the faces behind it a lot of times. And those faces are yours, Brad, uh, you know, and your co-owners. And then as well as like the farmers and the, and everybody else who is totally removed from the commodity, the game. commodity game. Sure. Sure. Um, and like you were just saying, like the, you know, like with the, the imperfect beans and all these things that go into the, the all the kind of garbage that's in this like commodity, uh, been um it's it's uh you know it's a one hopefully like you know over as as your business grows and grows like uh you're able to tell you're going to be able to tell more people the story oh definitely and provide more resources per bean back to those people as well you know they get a larger slice of the pie when it's a a tighter knit kind of transaction but uh, i mean the we always tell, or I do, I always tell people when they're leaving the roastery after a full day of education and they think they've learned everything about coffee, I'll be like, okay, well, that was the day we went over the syllabus. So if you <laughs> want to come back for the 101 version, because, you know, you know, you don't even, they haven't even talked to organics and fair trade and shade grown and bird free and, you know, and are those things valid? Are they not valid? Do they help the the growers? Are they uh, any kind of attribute that the baristas care about. I mean, the coffee game is huge just in the specialty world. I mean, it's a, it's a subculture all to its own. I, I think the the first thing is just get people off the commodity market and get them into the small batch, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the, that's the main step that people have to, to hurl over. 
And to that end, Brad, like what, when is, when are people able to visit the roaster? Are you guys open every day or is it like a, if people place local orders or want a tour, we call, if you want to see it that day, you got to call ahead and just catch us on a whim. Cause like I said, we're not a cafe, we're a wholesale roastery, but the best days before, um, the holidays, we're having an open house on the ninth, which is Saturday and the 16th, which is a Saturday. And then we'll be at the Birmingham winter marked the, uh, outdoor festival, uh, the first weekend of December. So we're the coffee sponsor for that event. Uh, and so where can people find you online? Uh, whitepinecoffee.com. And then we're in about 20 stores around town as well. Can they find out the stores online? Yep. There's a where to find WPC section right on the website. Awesome. And can they sign up for the, uh, the tour online? Uh, no, that is, you know, find an open house date, come on for that. The tours themselves, we don't really have a sign up sheet for. Oh, I'm sorry. So I, the, the open house date, they can just show up. Yeah. It's, we always post it on Facebook. Okay. Yep. yep. Cool. And that's white pine coffee as well. Yes, sir. All right. Brad, thanks for being with us. Until next time, dine well, friends. Been a pleasure.